Jesus Christ, the most famous, polarizing, and controversial person in history. Everyone has an opinion about him. He was an excellent teacher. He's a wonderful example to follow. He was a martyr. But the Bible says, Jesus is the Almighty God who became a man. Jesus sacrificed himself for your sin and then rose from the dead. Your eternity hinges on how you respond to him. He demands nothing less than your total allegiance. Open your Bible to the book of Hebrews as we seek to answer the question that has been asked by billions of people over 2,000 years. Why Jesus? Open up with me, please, to Hebrews chapter 2. And while we're turning there, um, you know, it's so important for us at Harvest Bible Chapel to represent the Word of God, whether it's me speaking up here, Pastor Taylor, or whoever. And uh, we take this very seriously because God does. So let's just pause for a moment, and I'm going to ask if you would please pray for me to accurately represent God's Word, and I'll pray for you to have a heart open to receive it. All right? Let's pray. Father in heaven, you've told us that you've exalted your word even above your name. That this is very important to you. You tell us that you're watching over your word to perform it. You tell us that your word always accomplishes the purposes for which you send it out. Father, we believe that. That's why we want to get it right. So I just pray, Father, for the next few moments that um, your Holy Spirit is at work in your word in a very profound way. For those that are sitting here, for those that are streaming, for those that will be watching this later, Father, we trust you to do what only you can do. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Hebrews chapter 2, are you there? Um, Did you open your presents this morning? Are there any cruel parents that are like, after church kids, after church? Who are the cruel parents? Oh, okay. The the cruel parents are actually smiling. Sadistic. I would have expected better coming out of such a church. But there are some parents that are still making... We gave our kids uh, their presents yesterday morning. And I didn't go and wait that long. (laughs) But um, last week, uh, after service... um, Joe and uh, Janie Berger came up to me at guest reception, and they had a present for me. And they said, we want you to open it now. And I opened it, and uh, this is what it is. It's uh, leather, and there's a heavy weight. And I kid you not, I look at, oh, my initials are on it too, JM, right there. I opened this up, and I said, uh, oh, you... um." You got me a blackjack. I don't quite know what to say about it. Do you know what a blackjack is? Have you ever seen those old mobster movies? The big black leather thing that they crack people in the back of the head with it? And I'm like, you know what? I can put this to use. But I sincerely thought it was a blackjack. And they laughed. They said, no, that's not what that's for. You know what this is for? To hold the pages down on my Bible for when the fans blow, 
And I'm up here trying to hold everything down. And I'm like, what an incredibly thoughtful gift. But I could still use it as a blackjack. But you know, if I did, I guess, um, I guess I'd miss the purpose, wouldn't I? And I thought about that a lot this week. Because uh, missing the purpose is sort of what Christmas is all about, isn't it? In our culture, right? It's missing the purpose of Jesus. I mean, you know the, the, the big Chris, one of the big Christmas verses, Matthew one twenty one, right? Remember, uh, it says, She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And people read that verse, and they're like, oh, okay, so Jesus is my ticket to heaven. And if that is the sum total of what you think about Jesus, that he's just this ticket to heaven, I want to suggest to you that you've missed the purpose. Like, what are you saying? Jesus doesn't get me to heaven? Absolutely he does. Yes, that, but so much more. And we can't reduce the message of Christmas to just that. Or we've missed the point. Like, what, do you, what do you mean? Here's what I mean. Listen, it says he will save his people from their sins. What has sin done? Sin has done so much more than disqualify us from heaven. Because of sin, we've lost the ability as a human race to do the very thing that God created man to do. Did you know that? We have this broken relationship with God. We live in in fear of death. And we are destroying ourselves with sin. And there's not a thing that we can do about any of this. Good news. Jesus is able to help. And that's what I want you to leave with today. Jesus is able to help. And this passage in Hebrews tells us the glorious, the the wonder and, and the purpose of Christmas. The purpose of the incarnation is this. Jesus is able to help. So in Hebrews chapter 2, um, we're just going to be looking this morning at how can Jesus help me? Right? How can he help me? What can Jesus do for me? Number one, Jesus helps me by recovering my purpose. Recovering my purpose. Look at verse 5. It says, Now it was not to angels that God subjected the world to come, of which we are speaking. It has been testified somewhere, what is man that you are mindful of him? Or the son of man that you care for him? You made him for a little while lower than the angels. You have crowned him with glory and honor, putting everything in subjection under his feet. Now in putting everything in subjection to him, He left nothing outside his control. At present, we do not yet see everything in subjection to him. 
Like, wait, wait, let's stop there for a second. What, what is he talking about? Well, first of all, he, this kind of cracked me up. In um, verse 6 where it says, it has been testified somewhere. He's like, I know this is in the Bible, and I'm not going to turn and check real quick. But somewhere it says, it's actually, this is from Psalm 8. Uh, verses 4 through 6. And let's not get ahead of ourselves here. In quoting this, the psalmist is talking about man. Why do you care for us, God? Why do you give us this awesome privilege that even though we are made lower than angels, you give us glory and honor and you give us dominion over the whole earth? See, that's why we were created. One reason. But we were made to have dominion over God's creation. Under God's authority, we were put in charge of taking care of all of this. Let me ask you, how are we doing? How are we doing with our dominion over the earth? What would you say? What's our approval rating? What do you think? Yeah. 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 We're not doing great, people. We're not doing great. God says you're in charge. Take care of this. And what are we doing? Wars. We're killing each other. Racism. Abuse. Abortion. Corruption. We're not doing great at taking care of this. We kill bugs and weeds with chemicals that poison what we eat. Like, wow, that's a, that's a great picture of how we're doing with the whole <laughs> subdue the earth thing, right? And you're like, hang on a second, Pastor Jeff, you're talking about things on a, on a big scale. You're like, I can't even get my house in order. True. And that's a bad fail on man's part. Look at verse 9. It says, But we see Him who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God He might taste death for everyone. You see what he's saying? He goes, man has been unable to fulfill God's purpose in having dominion over the earth. He goes, but Jesus, who is man's perfect God, and he's God's perfect man, he came to fulfill man's destiny. Well, how did he do that? By becoming a human being. Sin and death and curse are all in the way of man doing what we were created to do. And Jesus came to take care of that by dying in my place. You see, it should have been me on the cross. It should have been you. It's our lives that have been wasted. It's our lives that have been ruined. It's us that we've made ourselves completely useless. It should have been us on the cross. Killed and discarded. Jesus came to pay that penalty for you. For me. 
not only so we can have purpose in this life, but ultimately when Jesus restores all things, the Bible says that we will reign with him. Fulfilling the purpose that we lost. Everything someday is going to be in subjection to us because we are going to reign with the King of Kings. That's what he's saying. Jesus helps me by recovering my purpose. Number two, Jesus helps me by repairing my relationship with God. Look at verse 10. It says, For it was fitting that he uh, for whom and by whom all things exist in bringing many sons to glory should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. That's a... (laughs) I read that sentence a lot this week. That's a big sentence. And I think it's the sentence is so long, by the time you get to the end of it, you forget how it started. So, but, but we, we can't just gloss over that. Because to paraphrase this sentence, listen, what he's saying is, you know, God wanted to get people to heaven, so God thought it was appropriate to make Jesus perfect through suffering. That's what he's saying. Jesus was made perfect through suffering. You're like, hang on, hang on. Hang on, Pastor Jeff. I thought Jesus was already perfect. Like, in what sense was Jesus made perfect through suffering? How does that work? Well, think about it this way. Hypothetically, could Jesus have just done this? Couldn't he... Couldn't he have just decided, you know what, I'm going to come down and live among man for a week. Couldn't he have done that? Sure. He could have walked down from heaven as a man, 33-year-old adult man. He could have showed up on a Sunday. um, And over the course of one week, he could have done like Sermon on the Mount, um, healed a few people, walked on the water, feed the multitudes, going to do that one. Over the course of a week. And then by, you know, Thursday, betrayed, Friday, executed. And then by the next Sunday, resurrected, ascended. He could have done his ministry in a week, right? Hypothetically, he could have done that. But instead, what did he do? He showed up as a what? As a baby. Why? So he could live an entire life of suffering. Not just a week, not just a few days, but an entire life. Do you understand the significance of that? Jesus was teaching us how to trust God. By living a full human experience from the manger to the cross. Do you understand that? You know, in our day, I, I don't I don't know how I don't know how my parents did it without YouTube. But like I don't know about you, but there have been so many times I've been stuck in a plumbing project and you just YouTube it. And a guy will show you Here's how you fix this. There have been so many times I'm trying to install or fix something on my Jeep, and I'm like, I have no idea what I'm doing. YouTube, you just 
Put it in the search, and it'll give you like a thousand videos of people showing you how to fix it. And you see, that's the point of the incarnation. Jesus didn't just teach us. Oh, he did teach us. But the incarnation is about him showing us. Jesus could have just showed up for a week and said, hey, by the way, love each other and be good to people that aren't good to you and always try to be kind and always put God first. Oh, yeah, pray and give and fast and all that. Okay, I'll see you at my second coming. He could have done that, and we would have just been like, what does that look like? He spent a life showing us. Here's exactly what this looks like. Look at verse 11. It says, For he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one source. That is why he is not ashamed to call them brothers. I'm going to stop there. That word sanctify just means to separate, to, to make righteous. And the profound truth is Jesus made us holy by putting his righteousness on our account. That because of Jesus, God sees us as sinless. Well, how did he do that? Well, on the cross, God treated Jesus as if he lived your life. So that God could treat you as if you lived Jesus' life. I wish I had so much more time to talk about this passage. Because this is so profound. But look, look again at verse 11. It says, He who sanctifies and those who are sanctified have one source. The Greek is literally this. All are out of one. In other words, the Messiah, Jesus, and those he sanctifies all have the same source. Both are from out of God. So we share the righteousness of God with Christ. And that's why you're like, so what? <laughs> this, <laughs> that's why he calls us brothers. We share the same life. We share the same righteousness. We share the same privileges. Wrap your brain around that. Because we all have the same source. We share the same life. And the Messiah, God's anointed, calls us brothers and sisters. You get that, right? And I'm sure there were some Jews that were reading this when they first received it and thought, brother of the Messiah? Like, I don't think so. Well, the Hebrew writer anticipates any objections, and he goes, I'm going to quote you a couple passages from the, uh, from the Law and the Prophets, actually from uh, Psalm 22 from Isaiah chapter 8, and prove that even in Old Testament writings, the, the Messiah anticipated having brothers. Like, really? Well, look at verse 12, saying, I will tell of your name to my brothers. In the midst of the congregation, I will sing your praise. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, behold, I and the children God has given me. We've been made brothers. And I got to tell you, 
11? It says, He's not ashamed to call us brothers. That, to me, could be the most profound thing in this whole passage. Jesus would have every reason to be ashamed of you. He would. Jesus would have every reason to be embarrassed to call me his brother. You know, somebody in heaven saying, hey, hey, Jesus, do you know, uh, do you know Pastor Jeff? And Jesus is like, mm, uh, mm, who? He'd have every reason to be embarrassed. The Bible says he's not. He's not. How often, church, do we feel like we have to be a failure in God's eyes? Like, God must be so disappointed in me. Anybody ever felt that? God must be so disappointed in me. And that's why I love this passage, because it reminds us, he's not. Jesus says, I'm not ashamed of you. I died for you. I gave you my righteousness. My Father sees you as perfect. I am not ashamed of you at all. This is how Jesus helps you. He covers you with his righteousness. He makes you perfect in God's eyes. And he calls you brother or sister. Right? How can Jesus help me? Number three, Jesus helps me by removing my fear. Look at uh, verse 14. It says, Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. Jesus helps me by removing my fear. Look, whether we want to admit it or not, fear is a very real temptation for all of us. Right now, there are some people like, I don't know what you're talking about. I'm not afraid. I'm not afraid of nothing. I'm not afraid. Fear doesn't always manifest as hiding under the covers. Do you know what else fear looks like? Sometimes it manifests as anger. Sometimes fear manifests as despondency. Oh, it doesn't make a difference what I do. That's, that's fear. Sometimes fear shows up as trying to control everything in your life. Sometimes fear shows up as worry about your future. What are we going to do? What's going to happen? Specifically, he's talking about the fear of death. And you've heard me say it before. That's been my big takeaway from the last couple of years. That's what COVID has taught us. COVID has taught us that people are scared to death of death. And this fear, he tells us, leads to slavery. Like, what do you mean? It's slavery. Uh, This fear of death controls what we do. It controls how we think. It controls our attitudes. You know, like, well, what's, what's beyond the grave? Like... I don't, I don't want to find out, but I know that I can't avoid that. Brings fear. We're just not quite sure how to handle the death thing, are we? You know, um, 
I'm sure you've heard Franco Harris passed away. And that's been all over the news, and he was such a such a big figure in this town. But I remember the one the one interview in particular, I can't remember who it was, but the one interview in particular, the person said, you know, Franco's passing is unbelievable. And I'm like, unbelievable. Sad, yes. But was somebody living under the illusion that Franco Harris was going to live forever? Unbelievable doesn't sound like the right word. And you see, Satan's weapon is that fear. That's why Jesus came. God became a man to meet Satan on his own ground. Jesus died as a man to defeat death and the fear of it. And if you look very closely at this passage, verse 14, again, it says, um, through death, he might destroy the one who has the power of death. And you're like, well, hang on a second. You're saying that he's going to destroy Satan? It says destroy the one. I'm not sure about this one, Jeff, because I, (laughs) I don't know if you noticed, but Satan's still around. He's still active. Well, he's not saying that he's going to eliminate Satan. That's coming later. But what Jesus did was make Satan powerless. Like, well, what does that look like? See, the cross of Jesus Christ gives us new values. We learn that we give up to gain. We learn that we lose our life to find it. We learn that exaltation comes from humility. We learn that greatness is from being a servant. And we learn that living is Christ and dying is gain. Listen, if you live that way, if you live the way of faith in a Jesus-focused life, death has no power over you. You're like, death, I'm not scared of death. Do you realize what death is? It's a ticket to glory. You can't threaten me with heaven. Jesus removes my fear. That's how he helps me. And finally, Jesus helps me by restoring me when I sin. Jesus helps me by restoring me when I sin. Look at verse 16. It says, for surely it is not angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. Angels don't need help, right? They don't have sin or weaknesses. But we we need help. And the biggest help we need is with sin and temptation. Because we are still prone, even as believers in Jesus, we are still prone to this destructive behavior. Ungodly attitudes and complaining and, and coarse Speech and lust and hatred and gossip and anger. We need help. Like, well, how could Jesus help me with this stuff if he doesn't understand? See, that's his point here, as he absolutely does. Look at verse 17. Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God. 
to make propitiation for the sins of the people. Because He Himself has suffered when tempted, He is able to help those who are being tempted. Again, He's talking about the human experience. Jesus might become, He became a baby so that He could become that merciful and faithful high priest. Through that human experience, Jesus suffered when He was tempted so that He is able to help. Let me ask you, have you ever been misunderstood? Jesus gets that. Let me ask you, have you ever been slandered against? Jesus gets that. Have you ever been hated for no reason? Jesus gets that. Did you ever have somebody really close to you betray you? Has that ever happened to you? Jesus gets that. Have you ever been falsely accused of something? Jesus gets that. Like Pastor Taylor preached last night, have you ever felt rejected? Jesus gets that. He gets it. I could go on and on. Jesus was tempted and He suffered in every way. But here's the thing. He never gave in. He never gave in to temptation. He never gave in to despair. And that's the the whole point of this. He says that Jesus gives us an example of how to trust God And he gives us an example of faith in trial. And he also provides the strength to do the right thing, no matter what you face. You're like, yeah, but what about when I blow it? You will. You're going to mess up. But the good news here is he is compassionate. Jesus invites you to go to Him for restoration and help. But if you're going to Jesus for help, you have to have the right attitude. You see, you can come to Jesus defiant and excusing your sin and defending your sin and justifying yourself, and you're not going to find any help. But, if you come to Jesus humbly, Confessing and admitting, you're going to find strength and heal. We're going to pray in a moment. But with everything else Christmas means, something you can't miss. When you imagine that nativity scene and the baby in the manger, this is the message from God's Word. God gets it. He understands. You see, as a a human race, we can never say, God, you have no idea what it's like. He knows. He knows exactly what it's like because He's been here. He came. He experienced. 
He knows. Like the Hebrew writer tells us today, because of all of that, He can help. That's what we learn about God in the Christmas message, is that He's not some detached monarch living in some ivory tower, looking down at us dirty, smelly little peasants, like, glad I'm not them. He was one of us. Because of that, he says, I get it. And I can help them. So your purpose, it's been recovered. God has a purpose for you. Your relationship with God, Jesus took away your your sin and your shame and your guilt, and he calls you his brother. Your fear, there's no more fear. There's no more fear of death because death is death is just the it's the doorway into glory. I'm not scared of death. Temptation, yet we get uh, from Jesus, we get strength to overcome. We have an example to follow. We have restoration when we mess up. So the question this morning, you know, he can help. And he wants to help, and and he absolutely will help, but the question really lands on your lap. Will you go to him for help? I'd like you to bow your heads. Part of our pride is thinking that we have the ability to do it all ourselves. To figure it out ourselves. We learn here that he is able to help. The Father in heaven, we come to you not based on our righteousness, not based on our intellect or creativity, or we're, we're not looking at our, our track record and saying, I've always tried to do the right thing. Father, we, we come to you because we see how desperately we need what it is you provided through Jesus Christ. And Father, <laughs> We thank you for the mystery of the incarnation. Father, we know that you don't just understand us because you're God and you're omniscient and you created us. We know, Father, that you understand because for an entire lifetime you were one of us. So I pray, Father, that through what you've accomplished, that you would bring us to you when we need help, not running from you because of our shame. Let us find everything we need, Father, in the person of Jesus Christ. We pray in his name. Amen. This is Pastor Jeff Miller, and I would like to thank you again for listening to the podcast of Harvest Bible Chapel, Pittsburgh North. And you know, a question that I get asked frequently from people is this, how can I support your ministry? Well, I got good news for you. It is easy and it is secure. All you have to do is go to harvestpittsburghnorth.org backslash giving and follow the on-screen directions and you can give online to support the ministry of Harvest Pittsburgh North. So until next time, this is Pastor Jeff Miller saying thank you again 
for listening to the podcast of Harvest Bible Chapel, Pittsburgh North.